What is imposter syndrome and how much of a problem can it really be? That's the subject for today's podcast. I'm Stephen Hooper and this is the 22plusy.com podcast. Firstly, what is imposter syndrome? The BMA, the British Medical Association, describes imposter syndrome as a feeling of inadequacy that persists despite evidence of success. I guess the first thing to do there is to look at the term success and what does it actually mean. In my opinion, success is almost unquantifiable. It really does depend on the realm within which it's applied. So in my case, I'm a salesman and success can be relatively easily defined as what's the gross sales for the month, the quarter, the year, or what's the gross profit on those sales if there's been negotiation involved, how many new clients have been added, how many new territories, or if an international sales guy, how many new distributors have been added. And the term imposter syndrome that I'm going to address here is primarily in the field of work because, in my experience, that's where it occurs most. So let's have a look at imposter syndrome and and what it actually is. My experience says that imposter syndrome is a subset of a higher level of emotions and insecurities which can be labelled as self-doubt or a lack of self-belief. You see, self-doubt can span a whole realm of our lives and as can a a lack of self-belief. But I think imposter syndrome, where one feels a fraud, is a much tighter band and therefore a subset of self-doubt. It's a form of self-doubt, a form of a lack of self-belief. And as such, imposter syndrome tends to be very context-based which is why I'm looking at it from the perspective of the workplace. It's worth noting also that studies suggest that imposter syndrome, this subset of self-doubt, this feeling of being a fraud, despite evidence to the contrary, is a significant or can be a significant contributor to burnout. And burnout is something much, much worse than the feeling of being an imposter. Burnout can and does lead to people taking their own lives. Burnout can be that serious. So it's worth, if you're experiencing this feeling of being an imposter, this feeling of being a fraud, you need to nip it in the bud. You need to see it for what it is and deal with it before it starts to escalate. I'm not trying to be morbid in any way. In fact, I'm trying to be motivational, but it's worth bearing in mind that some of these things can lead on to other things. In the most part, they don't. But it's just something to be aware of. Particularly if you witness somebody else experiencing this, then just keep an eye on them and make sure that they know that what they're experiencing is a form of self-doubt, a lack of self-belief in one context of their life. It's not across everything. The imposter syndrome is also something which is much, much more common than people realise. I was at a gathering of guys recently where we were all talking about our experiences in life, etc. And one guy mentioned that 
just lately, he's been feeling a fraud. He's been experiencing imposter syndrome. And once he mentioned that, we were probably about 15 people chatting. At least three other people said exactly the same thing. They were experiencing the same thing at the same sort of time in their lives. So this feeling of being a fraud, this feeling of being an imposter, is much more common than people think. So a little bit of background on me. I left school in 1976. I'm 62 years old now. And when I left school, I had hardly any qualifications. I was always considered bright, but I didn't learn very much at school because I didn't learn the way they wanted me to, and I just didn't do the work. It's now come to light in my later years that I'm actually on the autistic spectrum and very likely have ADHD. But in 1976, that wasn't a thing. So when I left school, I had very little to go on, and I was lucky enough to get an apprenticeship with the local Ford main dealer as a car mechanic. So me and two other guys, we started our apprenticeships together on the 26th of August, 1976. And we did a four-year apprenticeship to become motor mechanics. Fortunately for me, the previous year intake had been so badly behaved at the local college that the garage got suspended from sending anyone else there. So my intake, the three of us, couldn't go to that college. So we had to go to another college, which was about half an hour, 40 minutes away by bus. Why I say fortunate is because the college that everyone else had been going to previously operated a scheme of day release. So they'd work in the garage and then one day a week they'd go to college. And I have a very good friend of mine who did his apprenticeship exactly the same way at that college in the same year. But he was working for a different garage. He was working for a Land Rover garage. But because we went to a different college, they had a different learning system. And they operated something called a block release. And this block release meant six weeks at work, going to college on a day release basis, the same as the other college, and then six weeks at college with no work. After six weeks, back to the garage and going to college one day a week, and then six weeks later, going back to college for six weeks' intensive education. That suited me perfectly, and I was able to learn a lot. And I came out with my qualifications. I was fully qualified, and I got distinctions in all my exams, and, uh, and I worked as a mechanic for some years. I then had an injury, so I had to retrain, and I retrained at another training course in electronics. I did a three-year training course in electronic servicing and that was compressed into 10 months of intensive training which again suited my way of learning and I came away from there with distinctions so now I'm a motor mechanic with education in electronics and electronic servicing I got a job and became a, a service test engineer in the company and the company made big complex machines for testing electronics I moved up into a field service role where I had a car and I was travelling around Europe. I was travelling around the UK to start with and then around Europe, doing servicing, repairs, calibrations, this kind of thing. And then the company launched a new machine and again, serendipity, I put myself on an evening course to learn a particular programming language called C, which nobody else had learnt at that time within the support departments. And this new machine was based on C. So I was able to get a promotion into a new role and that role meant that I had to learn about the machine but I also had to train all the sales guys, all the support guys, the international distributors and also the customers 
and I had to do the demonstrations and the exhibitions and things. It was a good job. I thoroughly enjoyed it. However, I found myself in situations where I had to explain this machine to people that had degree level education as a minimum. Most of the people I was talking to had master's degrees. One of the guys that I worked with had two master's degrees, one in electronics and one in computer engineering. And some of the people I worked with had PhDs. Every time I needed to speak to them about the machine, I felt a fraud. Every time I felt like I shouldn't be there, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm way, way out of my depth. But I did it. You know, it was my job. I had to bring income for the family, wife and children, pay the mortgage, etc. And that was my job. So I did it. And the machine that we made was something called ATE, Automatic Test Equipment. And ATE is used in factories where people make electronics and is used to test the thing that they've made has been built properly and it works properly. So you can imagine that the machine that we made was extremely complex and we could find ourselves one day looking at doorbells, domestic doorbells, which we did. We had customers that making doorbells, smoke detectors, fire alarms, missile systems, parts for aircraft, space parts, automotive parts, and telecoms, medical, a whole bunch of different fields, a whole bunch of different sectors. And our machine had to work in all of them, which meant that I had to understand how our machine would apply to all of those different fields. You can imagine how a motor mechanic was feeling when faced with somebody who was building items to go into space or building CAT scanners for hospitals. And as I said, I'm, I'm a motor mechanic. That's my background. That's, that's what I did when I left school. But I had to interpret their requirements, the customer's requirements, and apply them to our product so I could then demonstrate it to them and they would have the confidence to say, yeah, this product will do what we need to do. And the people I was talking to were people that are very highly educated. So I would often feel myself out of my depth. I eventually moved on into the sales department and international sales. And finally, I became a sales director or the sales director at the company. I was there for 17 and a half years. In one instance, we'd spent some months preparing a seminar in Germany and the customer was a very, very large multinational German-based manufacturer of telecom equipment. And the factory we were going to, they produced something called Slicks or Slims. This is subscriber line interface card or a subscriber line interface module. And what a Slim does is it has 16 telephone lines plugged into it and it takes the information from 16 telephone lines. It could be a fax, it could be a voice, it could be music, it could be data. And it combines them all together into one telephone line, which then goes to another exchange where there's another slim or slick that then expands that one line back out to 16 to go to the telephones or the destination of the call. Now to compress all this data and all this information and then to decompress it, it uses a technique called fast Fourier analysis or fast Fourier transforms, FFTs. And I had absolutely no idea 
who Fourier was or what a fast Fourier transform was and what it was for. So I had to learn about it, but only in the context of our machine. So we set this seminar up and there were four of us from our side and about 40 or 50 engineers from the customer's side, all minimum degree trained. There was my boss, the sales director. There was me. I was the international sales manager for the time and for that territory. We had a telecom expert who worked for us and he was there to do the telecom bits. And there was a former German colleague who worked in our German company for a few years and he was a good friend of mine. And I asked him along to be the German there so he could listen to what was going on. He could converse if he needed and he could read the room. So he came along, even though he'd left our company, he came along as a, as a private hire, if you like. Now, he had a, a lot of experience in testing, but he had no experience in telecom at that time. He now actually is a telecom engineer. He works for a large telecom company in Germany now, different one. So we were sitting at the back of the room so we could monitor the room, what was going on. And I went up to the front, opened the seminar, introduced us all, introduced what we were there for, pointed at the machine, that shiny blue and white thing over there, and then introduced the next talker, who was our telecom expert. Our telecom expert stood up, said hello, said his name, and then completely froze. He was like a deer in the headlights. My boss knew nothing about telecom. My German friend Lou knew very little about telecom. Our telecom expert had frozen, so I had to jump in. So I got up, went from the back of the room to the front. I managed to sit my colleague down and, and just assure him he was okay because he was genuinely in shock. And I had to do his presentation for him, which I did. It was about 45 minutes, just under an hour, something like that. I'd seen the PowerPoint presentation once or twice before. And I completed the presentation. I was such a fraud or I felt such a fraud. Imposter syndrome. Kicked in big time. But I did it. I had to do it. There was no one else to do it, and we'd spent months setting this thing up. So once I'd done the presentation, we broke for coffee and for some snacks and things. I went to make sure my colleague was okay, and he started to recover from the shock of standing up in front of everybody. And then we returned to the seminar and now at this point it was where engineers could ask us different questions people could ask us questions about the company about the pricing and all this sort of thing and anybody who wanted to know about the machine would go to the machine where the telecom guy was and he was able to explain to them and answer their technical questions because it was on him to maybe two or three people at a time and he was absolutely fine and he did a great job but I had to do the presentation and as it happened, it was very successful. But I felt such a fraud. I was so far out of my comfort zone, and that's where I'm coming to, I guess. Imposter syndrome really means you're just out of your comfort zone. That's basically it. I did a very good job because I'd prepared by knowing how our machine worked well enough to be able to connect to one of the customer's cards and what we could do to that card with the necessary BS around the different terms. I'd learnt what, what FFT was. I'd learnt how it's used. I didn't know how to use it, but I'd learnt how it's used and what it's for. 
And that was all that I really needed for my presentation. Really technical nitty-gritty was the telecom guy who we were able to deal with after the break. I have to say the German engineers were very, very considerate. Uh, They were really worried about him and uh, they were quite thankful that he was okay, as were we all. Now, one of my colleagues, before he, he came to work with me, was in the Royal Navy and he was a Navy diver. And I always remember talking to him one time about the dangers of being a Navy diver. His job was in search and rescue. He was the guy that was lowered down to casualties or jumped into the sea to rescue casualties. He called himself the dope on a rope. But he said his mantra was feel the fear but do it anyway. And that was drummed into them when they were in their training as, as Navy swimmers. If he didn't do it, then the person that was in danger was going to perish. It's as simple as that. Someone had to go and rescue this person. Someone had to get in there, put themselves in danger and rescue the person that was at risk. Now, I'm not saying that standing up in front of a bunch of guys and talking BS about a load of telecom test equipment is the same as saving people's lives. Of course I'm not. And my life wasn't in danger. That said, we had a company of about 160 people. And those 160 people rely on the sales department to sell equipment so they have a job to make the equipment, to build the equipment, to buy the parts for the equipment, to design the equipment, to service the equipment, to to pay the wages for the people that do all of those jobs. 160 employees rely totally on the sales team to get the orders. So no, it's not a life and death situation, but it's certainly a case of 160 people getting paid and being able to pay their bills. I had to do it. I had to feel the fear, but do it anyway. And I was scared. And I was also a total fraud at the time, or so I thought. I'm actually quite thankful for having the opportunity to have done it, to be honest, because I realised that I'd actually done a good job. And my boss had told me that I'd saved the day. My boss had told me I'd done an excellent job. And many times I'd put myself out and gone way beyond my comfort zone while I worked there. And I had a number of commendations from people for the work that I did. I'm not blowing my own trumpet by any means, but that's the reality. I even had one boss who wrote in his book, we were in China at one point, and a customer, while we were there trying to talk to them about new equipment, their engineers had had technical problems with the equipment they'd already bought from us. And they mentioned it over lunch. So I went to the equipment and because I'd learnt to program the machine, I was able to solve their technical problems while I was there on a sales visit. And my boss at the time wrote in his book, Must Keep Steve Hooper. And he showed me, he'd underlined it. And we're on the train back from, from China uh, into Hong Kong. And he showed me in his book, he said, look, this is what I've written. Because he was blown away with the fact that I'm a sales guy, but I could actually get in there and program this stuff. But until I'd learned how to do it, I was out of my out of my depth. Maths has never been something I'm very good at. And in another case, I was in Singapore. We had a large customer in Singapore. I was there as a sales guy with my boss at the time. I was there for about a week. I used to go there regularly. And it turned out that there'd been a major upset with one of the employees who'd 
basically faked what he was doing. And they were about to be found out by the headquarters because they were having an audit. And the audit was happening on Tuesday. And this was Friday. I was scheduled to fly home on Saturday morning with my boss back to the UK. I'd been away for about three weeks. And I decided to stay there. And I stayed there. I knew there's going to be a load of maths involved. And I'm really, really uncomfortable with maths. I'm well out of my comfort zone with complex maths. So I went to Borders Books uh, on Orchard Street in Singapore. At the junction with Scott's. And I bought some maths books. And I went back to my hotel room. And I read maths books most of the night and put them in my briefcase and then I went to work the next morning we worked most of the day I went home for a break and then we worked right through Saturday night and we worked right through Sunday we finished up on Monday getting something which they could actually show to the auditors on Tuesday the customer was amazed that a salesman could do all this programming work And it was complex maths. We were making complex waveforms to simulate car crashes because we were testing airbag controllers. So we had to simulate all the vibrations that come through the body of the car and is picked up by the sensor in the airbag controller and it detects where the crash is coming from and how strong it is and which airbag to fire. It's very complex stuff. And I managed to do it, but I was so out of my depth. I was so afraid that I was going to get exposed for somebody who didn't understand maths. But I had to do it. It was one of our largest customers. We had a lot of time and a lot of money invested in them. They had a lot of equipment and we're going to buy a lot more. So all these people, that's all I could think of was these people back at home. If I I screwed this up, they could lose all the contract work from this company and that would mean people losing their jobs. Anyway, that's examples of where I've experienced the imposter syndrome. And what I've found from doing this is that there are a number of things to keep in mind the first is that the imposter syndrome feeling a fraud just means that you're outside of your comfort zone that's all it means you're now doing something that you don't think you should be doing you don't think you're capable of doing now look at that another way and it's a learning opportunity it's an opportunity to grow So if you feel the imposter syndrome, you feel like a fraud, recognise it just means you're outside of your depth. But you can change what your depth is. You can change by learning what you need to learn and putting yourself in the position where you then deploy what you've learnt and you grow. So even though the imposter syndrome is something which feels awful, it's actually, if you look at it correctly, It's just a growth opportunity. You're just outside your comfort zone. The other thing to keep in mind is that the imposter syndrome is entirely context-based. What I mean by this is you may be feeling an imposter in one situation. It may be in your work life. It may be that you've had to take on a new task or you may have to do something and stand in for somebody, even in my case of the seminar and you don't feel like you're prepared for it. So the imposter syndrome, the the feeling of being a fraud at the time, 
is context-based. It's within the context of the situation or the setting that you found yourself in. It doesn't mean you're an imposter everywhere else in your life. Far from it. So keep that in mind. It's a, it's a context-based feeling. It's self-doubt about your ability within one field, one area of your life. The other thing that you can try doing, and I think this is useful, certainly from what I learned from when we had a group meeting of a bunch of guys and we were chatting about it and somebody first raised it, speak to others. If you've got colleagues that do a similar job, maybe been doing it longer, or friends that do a similar sort of role in another company, another department, speak to them and ask them how they felt the first time they did X, Y, Z, the first time they were in a position of X, Y, Z. And if they're honest, I could put money on them saying they felt a total fraud. Now, if you think about it, every growing opportunity has the potential to make you feel like a fraud. And every time you feel like a fraud, it's a growing opportunity. So if I go back to 1965, I was five years old, 1965, the world was in black and white, and I started school. I haven't asked my mother, but I guarantee I was probably in tears when I had to go to school for the first time. I know when I started at the comprehensive school in 1971, I actually threw up all over myself. I was that nervous. But all of these situations were growing opportunities. They were opportunities to develop and learn. I was out of my depth. Going to school, I was out of my depth. Starting in the comprehensive school at the age of 11, I was out of my depth. But all I'd done was find myself in a, a situation where I was out of my depth and it was a growth opportunity. It was an opportunity to grow and learn. So it wasn't so much the imposter syndrome, it was a growth opportunity. So that would be my advice, would be to speak to colleagues and you'll probably find it, other people, probably all of them have experienced a similar thing. It is incredibly common. And I guess the last thing, if you do feel the fear, but do it anyway, and you experience the feeling of being an imposter, the feeling of being a fraud, self-doubt, lack of self-belief outside of your comfort zone, but you do it anyway. When you've done it, reflect on how you got on. And if you've done okay, which I almost certainly guarantee you will, give yourself a pat on the back. Be kind to yourself. If it did go well, congratulate yourself. There's nothing wrong with that at all. You've taken on a new challenge, something you didn't think you were suited to do, you were capable of doing, and you were able to do it. If it didn't go as well as you expect, ask your colleagues. They'll probably say it did. You're just being harsh on yourself. So be kind to yourself. But if for some reason something did go wrong, if for some reason you found it too difficult and you weren't able to deliver as you should have or were expected to by others, it's a learning opportunity. Prepare, find out what you could have done right, find out what you could have done better, and prepare for next time. And every time you do this, your comfort zone grows. It gets bigger and bigger. 
And this feeling of being an imposter, this feeling of being out of depth, out of your depth, this feeling of being a fraud goes further and further away. So reflect on what you did and be kind to yourself. So the key points are, remember, it just means you're out of your depth. And that just means you've got an opportunity to grow. It's only in one context of your life, possibly only one context of your job. And it's incredibly common. So I hope you find this helpful. If you did, I'd really appreciate it if you would share and subscribe and like and all the other things. And keep an ear open for our next podcast. I'm Stephen Hooper, and this is a podcast from 22plusy.com. Have a great day. Bye.